0: Welcome back to the Cattleman U podcast. This week, I am excited to introduce you to Cassidy Johnson, someone who didn't grow up in the cattle industry, but found their way through the turns and the navigations that God has designed in their life. In this episode, we talk about the Enneagram, which is a personality tool that we use internally here at K-Rose Company and at Cattleman U, but also something that's changed our relationships on our family operation. So I encourage you to dive in, listen to this conversation, and we'd love to know what Enneagram number you are after you've listened. We are so excited to have Cassidy join us today. Welcome, Cassidy. Hi, thank you for having me. We are excited to hear from you and a little bit about your background. Why don't you start with what you guys do for a living and a little bit about you and your family?
1: Sure. Um, My husband and I live on a large high altitude commercial cattle ranch in the south central mountains of Colorado. We have three little boys and we've been in the ranching industry for, gosh, over 11 years. That makes me feel slightly old. Neither one of us grew up in this industry, though. So it's been it's been a wild ride. (laughs) How did you guys get involved in the industry if you didn't grow up in the industry? My story is completely different from Bert's. Obviously he always knew he wanted to, he rode bulls and they had, his dad was a crop duster. So ag adjacent, my story is a little longer. So I grew up in a suburb of Denver, like right in the middle of town. The closest I got to ranching when I was little was I always really wanted to have a horse like every other little girl, but we lived in a suburb of Denver. So I did not have a horse. I had a briar horse collection that I still have (laughs) and, and have a hard time passing on to my boys. Cause they're just a little hard on things. My godmother had a good friend who ran a ranch near Aspen. And that's where I kind of first understood that like ranching is, is a thing, but we would go up there and treat it like a dude ranch. It was not, but you know, we'd go ride around on horses and, and a mule one time fast forward a whole lot of years and ranching was not on my radar at all. I actually thought I wanted to go to law school or business school. And I did start at business school and realized business is a very bad major for people who hate math and I hate math. So that was not a good idea. I was in my junior year of college at CU Boulder, which is kind of hilarious studying environmental studies. And I was at the national Western stock show in Denver for my job. At the time I worked for the business research division at the school of business at CU. And we were doing an economic impact survey of the stock show upon Denver and the surrounding areas, which basically meant I walked around with a clipboard and bothered people and asked them questions for, the entirety of the sock show. During that time, I was looking for a thesis topic for my undergrad honors thesis. And I remembered being on the ranch, you know, the smell of the horses. I was like, "Hmm, can we put these together? Cause I, I just, I missed it. You know how you remember things when you were a kid and you were like, Oh, that was awesome can it be awesome as a grown up too? It can. So I chose to write my thesis on the relationship between environmentalists and ranchers because CU environmental studies, obviously very, I was in a concurrent sustainability certificate program at the time and all that kind of stuff. So my mom used to be a landman for an oil company. It had lots of ranchers who were her clients. So she called some of them up and said, Hey, Cass is writing a paper. She needs to go on a ranch. And some of her friends graciously agreed to let me come and live with them for a few weeks. And they have a ranch near Rand, Colorado, which is way up in North park, kind of by steamboat zero people live there, like not zero, but literally 40 super rural, nothing I'd ever seen before. So they let me come up for a few weeks and I ended up just falling in love with the whole thing. They taught me how to drive a tractor and hired me on to hay, which up there North park is kind of famous for it's hay. I think that summer we put up 42, 200 ton, which is not a small amount of hay. I ran the rake tractor and thought it was just the funnest. And I went back to work there after graduation that December. And I met my husband during all of this hilarious process. That's a hilarious side story. But after that, we were a thing and we worked for Sitz in Harrison. So right by you for a while. And then we were at the Silver Spur, Kiowa Creek Division in Kiowa, Colorado. And that's where I stopped cowboying and started working behind the scenes with the books and the registrations and really learning more about genetics and all that stuff because I started having babies and it was just easier for me to be in that part of things. And they needed an office manager. We were there for four years. We moved to New Mexico for three years. And last fall, we moved back to Colorado where Bert got a job managing a large commercial operation where we live now.
0: Well, you're right. That was a long story, but I think the the point of that is you were supposed to be in agriculture, and so we are glad you're here in the industry. You are absolutely filled, definitely a niche in the industry, and so I'm glad that God and life worked your way to where you are every day in agriculture now. You and your family.
1: I couldn't have planned this life for myself. I was actually dating somebody at the time when I met Bert, and We kind we thought we were going to get married and the life that he lives now, he's a great person, you know, but would have been completely the wrong choice, completely the wrong choice. All of it, everything that I thought I wanted would have been such a poor choice and this fits so much better. And so thank goodness your Lord Jesus did not let the Enneagram one try and plan this business because I would have failed miserably.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought the Enneagram because we need to talk about that. (laughs) You have a podcast about the Enneagram. We are obsessed with the Enneagram here at K-Rose. It's actually one of the requirements to apply for a position is that you send over your Enneagram. I am an Enneagram 8. And so for all of the Enneagram fans, I compare myself to Donald Trump, which we're not being political, but that's who's an 8 on the Enneagram that everyone knows. And so talk to me a little bit about the Enneagram. I'm not sure what percentage of our audience knows their number or even knows what the Enneagram is. And then we're going to talk a little bit about you being a one and how that contributes to the ranch life. So the Enneagram
1: is a personality typing system, but it's not like say a Myers-Briggs or a StrengthsFinder because it is about your motivations. It's not how you behave. It's about why you do what you do. There are nine types and everybody fits into one of those types. I know sometimes people say there's no way, but because each type is so multifaceted and has just so many expressions of it once you start diving into the Enneagram, you you just learn all of the different levels of it. And I, I love it because it really helps me understand myself and other people as a one, and that's our title is the perfectionist. I'm a very perfection oriented person. So sometimes a little, I'm a little hard on people and the Enneagram has really helped me to be able to give grace, not only to others, but to myself. And I find it just such a handy tool to improve how I behave and learn more about myself and depending on how you use the Enneagram. I like to go the faith-based route because it really speaks to me. And I love Richard Rohr and Suzanne Stabile and, and that whole, that whole crowd. I like to think of them as like my crowd. They're probably shaking their heads like, no, but I love the Enneagram. And so does my friend Taryn, which some of you might know as Faith, Family, and Beef. We just one day in Marco Polo just started, or DMs, I think on Instagram, we just started talking about the Enneagram and she was like, okay, we're nerding out over this. We should have a podcast. And I was like, yeah, we should have podcasts. That's literally how it came to be. So it's called the Type It Out Podcast and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We love the enneagram. It's changed our business and like I said, it's one of the things that we make people do before they apply to work for K-Rose is we feel that in a business sense, it has allowed us to change the relationships that we have with our employees if we know their number. And it's just been life-changing for us. We oftentimes, as a leadership team in Rose company, will say, remember, they're a certain number. And so their internal motivation is leading them this way. And that's why you're seeing some of this behavior in good or bad ways. But I really encourage you guys, if you haven't heard of the Enneagram, and if you have people in your life, which you do, so your siblings or family or a business, that you should take the test, figure out what number you are, and then encourage the people around you to take the test. There's some really great books, of course, and podcasts, but it has just, it's really changed relationships in business, but also personally. And so being a one, which is a perfectionist, tell me a little bit how that impacts and improves your ability to be a good advocate and to do the -the behind-the-scenes ranch work?
1: In the beginning, it was really hard because as a perfectionist, I want to be good at everything I do. And I'm very, very hard on myself all the time, pretty much. Type ones have what is called the inner critic, So if you have a one in your life, just know that there's a little voice in their head all the time telling them that they're not good enough, or they should have done this or done that or need to do this or do that. So in the beginning, it was really hard because when you're coming into ranching at the age of 21, there's, it feels like there is so much to learn because there is, you never stop learning or you shouldn't. Right. But having that drive to be helpful, to be, to be good, which is the one's core motivation. We want to be perceived. We want to be good and be perceived as good. So we believe that if we are perfect, right, we, we will be perceived as good, which is hilarious because none of us are perfect. Right. So that helped me just really want to do the best that I could and learn all the things and do all the jobs and ask all the questions, which is part of the reason I believe, I mean, both of us have been so successful. My husband's not a one, he's a five. That's a whole separate discussion, but the way that ones perceive the world is that I can come into a space or a room or a situation and see all the places where it can be improved and where all of the inefficiencies are. And that's, and I love to improve things. That's just how my brain works. So coming from outside of beef and the beef industry to into the industry, it has really shown me where we are doing well, where we can improve, where things have been the same for too long. And obviously this, these are not blanket statements because every operation is different. And it helps a lot in advocacy too, because, and this is where I lean on my wings. (laughs) This is deep enneagram talk friends but when you have an enneagram you have a uh, type on either side my wings are 9 and 2 and my 9 wing really helps me to see both sides of conversations and my 2 wing helps me to be helpful to to perceive what others need and where when kind of where they're coming from which is my number 1 kind of rule in advocating for beef and agriculture in general, is that you have to meet people where they are. You must. And that's a mistake that sometimes happens. It happens quite a bit, actually, in beef advocacy. We have to remember that people who grew up outside of this industry have literally none basis for understanding what we do. And I know that because I was that. So what I do is I speak to my past self in the way I would have wanted someone to explain something to me so that I could be better at it. Does it always work? It doesn't. You got to read the room. But that's where I lean on my oneness the most in ranching and in advocacy is just that drive to improve.
0: That's great. I think every number has, you know, obviously some really great characteristics. And I think when we are our own number, we think we look at the negatives, of course, right? But When you're advocating on social media and you're helping people understand and you're looking at seeing both sides, what do you think is the most common question or topic that the consumer who is removed from agriculture wants to know about?
1: I think there's actually two. There's the question about sustainability. Is beef bad for the environment? Is meat bad for the environment? The literally one and only viral post I have ever had just said your diet is not going to save the planet because it's not. The other set of questions I get are about production practices. Obviously coming from Denver and from Boulder, I get a lot of people asking me about added hormones and antibiotic use in organic production. So it's both of those things, but of course they end up relating because the idea of certain production practices being more sustainable. So from consumers, that's mostly it, unless there's
0: some big trending thing in the
1: media. And then of course they want to know about that, obviously.
0: That question about sustainability on top of production practices is actually really interesting because I run into that question a lot too, you know, and the immediate things that the consumer hears is added hormones, implants really bad. And then when I tell them, well, that allows us to take better care of the land. And it's sort of a two-edged sword. And it's a conversation that is hard to digest, I think, as a consumer, because it is a challenging conversation. I also think that it's hard to explain and to talk about both sides of it. And so as a one, I really commend you for taking on those conversations with the consumer because it's sometimes a no-win situation.
1: It is sometimes, but I found that my background is incredibly helpful. It gives me, one of my friends called it hippie street cred, which I'm proud of. The thing I try to remember is that people just don't know what they don't know. And, you know, there is so much misinformation about agriculture. And sometimes I feel about beef in particular, as it pertains to the environment you kind of have to go and dig and dig and dig and find out what the actual question is. Because when people are asking about hormones, sometimes they're asking about the effects on their children's bodies, right? Or sometimes they have heard something and they think that we are over-inflating cows and they can't walk around a feed yard. Like you kind of have to figure out which chunk of false information they heard and then kind of pull that apart. It doesn't always win. Like sometimes you agree to disagree And this is, for me, this is not a conversation that is effective to have on social media. I don't do the bulk of my advocating on social media. I speak and I go to events and I talk to people in person. And these, the really, really difficult conversations about stuff like added hormones are ones that are best had face to face um, without the accompaniment of trolls on the Instagrams. And I have also found if you guys have seen the Eminem visual by, I think it's Joan Rescamp, that has been really helpful for me to explain like, okay, we may have this, this many hormones in the beef. But look at all, it doesn't, this is not an only beef thing. Like hormones exist in the world. And then let's talk about that. Let's see what that means. And then people can kind of, maybe they come around, maybe they don't. But as long as you go into the conversation, not trying to convince somebody of your point, which is incredibly hard for a one, I've had to work very, very hard on that. It tends to go better. Not always. I have some really hilarious stories about people yelling at me in public, but it, it happens, right? It just, it just happens.
0: Absolutely. And you're correct. I think the term is called bellying up, belly up marketing, where you like, I always picture a bar, but you kind of sit up to to the counter and you talk to people. And I really think that sometimes in all types of marketing and advocacy in any industry, we have tried to use the internet to replace that marketing And that marketing cannot be replaced. There's nothing better than shaking someone's hand, looking them in the eye and saying, I hear you 100%. That is a concern of mine as well. Let's get to the facts about the things we can agree on. And then let me answer your question because... What we need is the consumer to ask questions. If they're asking questions, they care. The moment they stop asking questions, we are going to be in a lot worse shape than when they're asking and digging on their own and trying to find information. And so I think you're right. I think those conversations can't happen very well on social media. I also don't think they can happen very well on the mass. You know, it's not a one-to-many conversation. It's a one-to-one impact conversation where we know our truths. They know their truths. And we come together for a conversation and hope that when we leave, we have not negatively impacted their view of agriculture or the beef industry. And instead they're either the same level or they have started to see some things they hadn't seen before.
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's a trust building relationship. It really is. And this is, this is my life goal. This is my dream is to be able to talk to as many people outside of ag, whether it's retail, whether it's a consumer, because that's kind of where the magic happens. It's in these, in these conversations. And the thing about food and food production is it's very it's emotional, you know, and it's, and I know a lot of people are going to say it shouldn't be, we should be sticking to science. Okay. You can say that all day long, but everybody eats right. And everybody has a different relationship with food. And what people are often talking about when they're talking to you about food is a fear that they have about feeding the people in their lives or themselves, or the impact that their food is going to have on the environment. And some of these fears are misplaced. Absolutely. But people don't know what they don't know. Just like I don't know a lot about plumbing. If you have a a broken pipe, please don't call me. So that's part of our uphill battle, right, too, is that everybody thinks they're an expert in everything, thanks to the internets. We see that a lot with medicine, with political policy. We see it with food all the time. Somebody read an article, and then they went and looked up some more articles they didn't realize were put forth by a, a group with an agenda, and they think they know about that thing. But- Like you said, if you get people asking questions, if you meet them where they are, they realize that you're a person too, and they start trusting you because they, once you start to empathize with somebody, they say, oh, okay. Like this isn't me just being crazy or, oh, you have an answer for this and you can explain it to me. So you're right. These are in-person conversations. You know, maybe the conversation starts en masse with an idea, but then we have to make the connections afterwards and it's really hard because we all live in the middle of freaking nowhere you know like we're all kind of busy that's, that's kind of the thing we don't have we don't have quite the hotshot marketing team that a lot of you know you know which groups i'm talking about guys with the hotshot marketing teams that love to spread their agenda everywhere so i just encourage people you know, it's emotional for them. It's emotional for us. But if we can just remember that we're all, we're all people and just meet people where they are. Doesn't mean you have to agree. Doesn't mean you have to be a doormat, right? You're not conceding their point, but you trying to convince someone of your position means you have already lost the fight. So don't do that. Kind of lean on in, be, be easy and, and and funny about it whatever your shtick is, do that. And people will receive it a little better.
0: I agree. And one thing you said there, and I know people hate this conversation because you're a woman and a wife and a mother. And so people hate this question because I'm going to ask you the dreaded question. And if your husband was on, I would ask him this too. But how do you balance being a great mom with a job and with a relationship with your husband and this advocacy and a podcast and you also have a job? So... How do you do all of those things? What are some things that women or men listening who are trying to add, you know, advocacy on their plate or a podcast, give some tips and tricks about how you're handling all of these things. Not always. Well, I
1: fight for balance. It's very elusive and this is a very active conversation I have with myself in my own life because you cannot do it all. And I wish I were able to advocate on a larger scale. I'm really excited that I have started um, the process to become like a speaker speaker, like for a job, because that is where my heart is, but it's taken four or five years to even get to the place where I decided I had enough time to hire a speaking coach. Like you have to prioritize like i have several non-negotiables that happen every day for me those change in different seasons so that's a good place to start when you are looking for balance do not look for balance in like a 5 year plan you have to look for it in the season that you are in whether it's the literal season like you are in hay season right now and so everything is a, is a mess that is not hay season or the season of having young kids or the season of having lots of sports whatever whatever the season is be in that season And I've already, because I'm a one, I'm a planner. I am already thinking to the next year. And I love to have a word for the year. My word for 2022 is ruthless and not in the way that it sounds. I'm going to be ruthless about where I spend my time, who I spend my time with, how I spend it. And then also how I steward our finances, you know, where I'm cutting all dead weight because I don't have any time for that in my life. If you're looking to add something add it in a way that feels good to you. I am not attempting to grow a giant social media following because that is not where my heart is. I have no desire to be super active on Instagram. I have a desire to get in front of people. So that's where I'm spending my time. This podcasting that T and I are doing, it's fun. It's a release for me. It's something fun and silly that we do. Um, not always silly. The Enneagram is serious, but we do it because we are both moms living in the middle of nowhere with what feels like 400 children. And that's our way to connect. So when you are looking for balance, make sure that you are also making time for yourself. And you know, just like you said, I'm going to ask a question that nobody wants to hear. The thing about you can't pour from an empty cup is also a thing that no one wants to hear. You can't. And we have all done it at some point, tried to be everything for everybody and, and you just can't do it. So One thing that I am always, there are three things I should say that I'm always non-negotiable about no matter what the season one is exercise, which varies by season, right? Literally because of snow. Two is my time reading my Bible and having a quiet time just to sit and reflect and pray. And the other thing is time where I am not obligated to do anything. And I have to make that time. You have to make the time to do nothing. But if you don't, you're going to get burned out. And the other thing I would encourage people is that your balance will not look like somebody else's balance. You may see somebody who is just so energized by being with people and and doing all the things and maybe cooking for people and having people over, but maybe you recharge when you're alone. So don't, don't, you know, don't do the things that they do. Or if your friend is, is doing TikTok videos and that's not your jam, don't do them just because someone else is doing them. Figure out what you need to thrive which is where the Enneagram is really helpful everybody because it can help you figure out within your type what you need to recharge and do that thing and also know that not every season has balance sometimes it is a complete and total you know what and that is okay it's okay ask for help it's okay
0: two things I've heard recently that just Add exclamation points to the whole conversation you just had. I have heard Christy Wright from the Dave Ramsey crew say, look out the windshield, not in the rearview mirror. I think as people who are hungry, our audience is hungry for the next best thing, the upcoming thing, right? We are doers and achievers. It's really easy to be looking backwards instead of looking forwards and wondering what just happened. Why wasn't I balanced? That didn't work. And instead of just taking it day by day and looking. The other thing I recently heard that has really changed my perspective is they said that every day you have the opportunity to be stale or to be 1% better. And when I think of that, it's amazing what freedom that 1% gives me because I'm an 8, like I've said before on this podcast, which means... I would like to change the whole world tomorrow. And eights are fast thinking doers who are very blunt and forthcoming. For me to know that even if I mess my whole day up, that it only equates to 1% has been a game changer for how I think about progress and how I think about balance and knowing that just because today didn't end up well, I have a whole nother shot tomorrow. And so both of those things, as you were talking, just made me think About making each day a little better than the day before in whatever, if you're trying to balance, if you're trying to add something and it didn't work yesterday, try a different way. Also to be always looking forward and not dwelling on the past because we can't really change what happened yesterday.
1: Absolutely. And it's funny that you said that because my eight friend always reminds me about the 1% rule like every day because I I kind of moan and groan to her. My progress is slow. Everyone's doing bigger, better things faster than I am. And she's like, no, you are building your foundation. You know, I am building multiple businesses behind the scenes. I have three kids and childcare for one and a half of them. We've never had childcare. So all of the stuff that we've done has been with all of our children there. We have one kid who's school age now I'm one who's going to start preschool in a couple of weeks just two mornings a week so that's exciting for us but just yeah just remembering that and then something that helps me too because as a one I go right to resentment when things aren't getting done or when I feel like everybody else is doing everything better or has more time than me i remember that i am a thermostat for our home. I set the temperature, right? It is my job as the person who is at our house the most. And this is not a gender roles thing. This is just a, how our, our marriage is divided in terms of indoor outdoor responsibilities in this season. And my type a inability to hand over things to people, the way that like, if I am mad, everything at home is a mess. So I have to remind myself I did this just an hour ago because things were really going sideways and I was a little, you know, trying to get up here and be and have a quiet space to record this. I am a thermostat. It's my job to set the temperature and to hold it and to maintain it. And that has been something that's been really helpful in my own life and also been helpful for me to be ruthless in my days. Like if like the most common thing that happens is things are going sideways, I am trying to work on my computer for a client or for myself and The thing to do to keep the level in the house is to close the computer. No matter how important that work is, the cost of not stepping away and being present is so much higher. I mean, I know that's not the way all the time. Sometimes you have a deadline and you just have to do it. But thinking of things like that and the 1% idea just helps me really be intentional, which is sometimes also a word that I hate because it gets overused, about where my time goes right? And how I'm choosing to spend it, how I'm choosing to react to things, but it's an ongoing thing. Some people ask about balance. It's the answer I'm giving you today is probably going to be different in a year, right? Because who knows what will happen in a
0: year. Absolutely. I think this conversation has been great. I think that it's going to be really encouraging to people to see all the possibilities of behind the scenes. But I want to know as kind of the last question to wrap this up, What is either the first steps or piece of advice that you have for someone who is not in this industry who wants to be in agriculture?
1: Go learn, go find you some people. You are not going to learn how to do this by yourself. It's impossible. And it will save you a lot of mistakes along the way. So depending on what stage of life you're you're in, that might look like finding an internship at a ranch who accepts interns. If you're a little older and don't wanna do an internship, You know, you've got to find somebody who is willing to teach you. And then you also need to be willing to learn and do every job and work really, really, really hard. There is no, this is not a free pass industry, but Bert and I would not have gotten nearly as far as we have. If we had done this alone, there are so many people in that you know, this is such a close knit industry. If you are listening to this and you are looking for somewhere to start and just find my contact information. I am at Cascade John on Instagram. Don't try to get me on my phone because we don't have cell phone service. This is such a connected industry. I'd be so happy to help you figure out where you need to go. Most people in this industry are so happy to share their knowledge with people who are genuinely interested and willing to learn. The second you show up and think you have all the answers, that's not a good idea. But I would also encourage people too, to learn about all of, as many of the sectors in the cattle industry as possible so you can figure out which part you want to be in. You know, maybe cowboying is where your heart is. Maybe you want to get into genetics and seed stock. Maybe you're more interested in feeding cattle. Maybe you are wanting to farm and have cattle on the side. This is a very diverse industry, so the more you learn and the more things you see and the more people that you meet, the better. And sometimes that means being, putting yourself out, out, you know, out there and feeling a little awkward and asking questions that you believe are like, I remember asking Bert 11 years ago, what a baldy cow was. Cause I was like, all these cows have hair. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? We are talking about cows with white faces. That's what we're talking about. Okay, good. Thank you for that information. That is not something I would have learned in the suburbs of Denver. So just just be humble and work hard and just go ask. Start asking around. People are going to tell you. You know, some people are going to have absolutely no interest in having somebody new on their operation, but somebody will. Somebody will want to teach you. And if an operation takes interns, that's a good in- that's a good indication that they are willing to teach. Just start asking. Start emailing people or calling them or like, don't show up at their house. It's a little weird. But seriously, if you don't know where to turn. I'll I'll help you. I can help you with that. I like to help people. And I also like to help you not to show up at people's houses because that's a bad deal.
0: (laughs) We will for sure share all your contact information in the show notes. But a saying my dad used to say when I first started my business, he said, you will not be the oldest in the room and you probably won't be the wisest, but you can be the person that works the hardest. And that is something that you have the ability to control and the rest are Uncontrollables, right? I mean age. We can't (laughs) dictate age of people in the room or intelligence level, but he always said hard work is something that you can control and you can dictate the success of. And so I love that it's from you. Yep.
1: I was just talking to somebody who had this question for me. And she said, it seems like the beef industry is one of the last industries where hard work actually matters. And it does, because if you inherit a ranch in this industry, if you don't work hard, you're not going to keep it. If you come up in this industry and you don't work hard, you're not going to be respected. But if you come from outside of this industry, that's the reason people tend to really like my husband, because he works really, really, really hard and is really, really humble but that hard work people see that and they appreciate it and that will get you so much farther than being the handiest or the most knowledgeable or the guy with the cool boots because trust me we in the past we've had interns that think that their footwear qualifies them for like the right hand of Jesus but just work hard and it and the thing is working hard is is free right you don't have to show up with a horse and a trailer and a herd of cows and the punchiest whatever just work hard because yeah, it's free and you can, you can control how hard you work and hot tip. If you show up with food at a place like muffins or cookies, that also assists in your endeavor to uh, make
0: some friends. I agree. Donuts. It's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. Bring fresh donut. Yep. Bring food. Yep. Or when I ship kettle on Halloween, I always tease the truck drivers and I say, I will bring candy if you dress up. So if you put a Halloween costume on, I will bring candy for you. Now, I have very few drivers who take me up on it, but the ones that do, it's a great time.
1: And have fun. That's another thing about this industry. Work hard, but it's really fun. It's a good time, especially when you find where you fit. There's nothing funner than a group of cattlemen and cattlewomen working together. I was going to say beefing it up, but that's not... (laughs) <laughs> Mm-mm, that's not a good, that's not a good a thing. We don't need that to be our slogan. But if you want to join this industry, come on in. Seriously, some people might tell you that you don't have a place here, but that's not true.
0: Like we need everyone in all their skill sets. And if you want to be in this industry, we have a need for you.
1: Absolutely. There's a place. Even if you don't think there is, I guarantee we can find you one and someone who will be so happy to help you find your gifts. Don't listen to the haters. They exist everywhere, but just come on, come on in.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. This was a great conversation. You are an asset to the industry. Um, We love what you're doing on social media. So thank you so much for joining our podcast. And we will be sure, like I said, to include all your social handles and your contact information in the show notes.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor to be on the other side of a podcast and, and your podcast. This is great. Thank you so much. Meet us in Nebraska. This September on the 16th through 18th, we'll be hosting the Cattleman U Live event in Grand Island, Nebraska. This event will feature industry leading speakers, groundbreaking tour stops, and cattle handling demos that will allow you to refresh your skills. Whether you're a first generation rancher or next generation rancher, Cattleman U is for you. You don't have to be a member of Cattleman U to meet us in Nebraska. Grab your tickets today at
0: cattlemenulive.com backslash live dash events. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Kettleman podcast. Don't forget to follow and subscribe at KettlemanuLive.com slash podcast so you never miss an episode. And remember, the grass is greener where you water it.